Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Thanks for joining us. Those of you guys that are here in the house, hopefully we won't be, be, I won't be before you too long tonight, but we are still continuing in our journey through John. We're going through the book of John. And so uh, before we jump into tonight's lesson, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, another day, Lord, allowing us to be here in the land of the living. Father, we thank you that uh, as tonight, Lord, as, as tonight progresses, Lord, that we would be able to, uh, to have a greater revelation of who you are tonight, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to us in a greater way, Lord, as we, as we continue to journey through the book of John, Father, that we would uh, be able to see Jesus for who he really is. We thank you, Jesus, for, for, for all that you've done for us, all that you're doing in us. We thank you and we trust and we rely on the perfect work of your cross. We thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection, and we just, we just thank you for the newness of life that we are able to experience, that, that we are able to experience on this side of eternity and what awaits us on the other side. Lord, we thank you that as your word comes forth tonight, that it would come forth with simplicity, that it would come, come forth with clarity, that you would uh, begin to, to just chastise, challenge, and change us tonight as we receive the engrafted word, which is able to save our very souls. We thank you, Father, that you are giving us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church tonight. We thank you for giving us eyes to see, that we may be able to see from our heavenly seat. We thank you for giving us a mind that, that, that understands, for you have blessed us with the mind of Christ. And we thank you for giving us a heart that believes that we are able to receive the word, that it would take root in our hearts and bear much fruit. Lord, we love you for this, we thank you for this, and we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen? Amen. So again, I just thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for showing up tonight uh, as we journey, we continue this journey through John. Um, for those of you guys that have been following and you guys have, have come thus far on the journey, or maybe you're just jumping in, we've been, we've been studying the book of John because John has this just eloquent uh, illustration of how he... He uh, reveals to us through the word of God who Jesus is, that we are able to completely see Jesus as the man and see Jesus as God as well. And so we're, we're, we've, we've learned a lot of things thus far. And, and uh, last week, uh, uh, Pastor Jenny spoke about uh, John chapter 13, where we see that Jesus is, is coming to the end of his ministry here on earth. He's with his disciples that they, they, were, they were at this, uh, this supper and uh, he washed their feet. And so we, we learned about how Jesus uh, not only just told us that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, but that he also demonstrated in action. He put action along with the word. Why? Because he was the word. He is the word. He's the definition of everything that's in existence. And so um, we see that he was a perfect example of everything that he spoke. 
thus which ruffled the feathers of the religious leaders of the time. They were upset at the fact that this word that they professed to know, that they studied, that they went to school and, and learned about, that they, that they used as a, as a means in order to uh, keep people bound and, and enslaved and oppressed, here it is, they come face to face with the word and they see the definition of it in Jesus Christ. And so here it is that they've solidified, that they, they, they've, they've purposed in their hearts that they are going to go ahead and plot Jesus's murder and, and follow through with it. And so here it is, Jesus knowing this, knowing that his time has come near. There have been several attempts in which the, the, the religious leaders had tried to go ahead and um, uh, try and make their move on Jesus, but Jesus was like, it's not my time yet. So um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, Pastor Jenny left off uh, in, in John chapter 13. And at the end of John chapter 13, as you guys have been seeing that, that things are progressing, like the endings of these chapters have been kind of weird. But I want you guys to understand something, that the way that things took place, the way things happened, didn't happen by chapter and verse. So this is just broken down for us to understand what it is that's going on and to be able to see uh, uh, and get a better understanding of, of how these events took place. Okay, and so here we're picking up in John chapter 14. And at the end of John chapter 13, Peter is talking to Jesus because Jesus has explained to him that, to them that, look, I'm about to die. I'm about to, I'm, my, my life is, is about to be poured out and um, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be taken, taken in. I'm going to be uh, uh, sacrificed. And Peter's like, Lord, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to go with you. I won't, I won't ever let anything like that happen. And Jesus ends the chapter with telling Peter something that Peter probably would have never thought Jesus would have said to him ever. And he comes to, he, he tells Peter that surely before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And here it is, he's saying this to one of his closest disciples. He's saying this to, to one of his ride or dies. And, and, and Peter was always quick to remind Jesus, man, I'm your ride or die, I'm with you all the way to the very end. But Jesus gives him a warning and says, surely, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so it's just kind of an awkward way to end a chapter, and here it is, we pick up in John chapter 14, and it reads, as, it reads like this, starting with verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If, there were not, if it were not so, I would have told you, but I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Amen? Let me break something down about this passage. Here it is we have Jesus explaining to the, to the disciples. It's kind of, he's, he's giving Peter a harsh word about the fact that he's going to be taken He's going to be in prison. He's going to, he's going to experience a, a gruesome death. And he tells one of his closest disciples that you're, even you're going to betray me. 
because of all the things that are about to take place. But he follows it up with, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And so what we need to see here is that their distress that they're, that they're, that they're experiencing by this, by this uh, foretelling, by this prophecy that Jesus is laying out before them about the fact that their closest companion, a man, the, the, the God-man that they had never met anybody like before, whom they've, they've, they've gotten the opportunity to, to minister with. They've, gotten, they've been empowered to go out and, and, and partner with God. is going to be taken from them. And here it is, they're greatly distressed because they're not getting this from the rumors of hearing about the Pharisees talking about it and spreading the rumors to the people about what they're going to do to Jesus. They're getting it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And it's causing great distress. And here it is, Jesus follows it up with, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. You got to think, they have a right to be experiencing some sort of distress because they've forsaken everything they knew to follow after Jesus. They forsook everything that they knew to follow after Jesus. I'm talking about lifelong careers and livelihoods. They left everything to go and follow Jesus. And they've been spending what is, what is about three years walking and talking with Jesus. Okay? And, and, and be developing a, a real relevant relationship, as we like to say, a real relevant relationship with the only begotten son. So they have forsaken all to follow him. And so their distress is legitimate. And Jesus is speaking directly to their distress. When he's telling them, let not your hearts be troubled, he's saying, the, 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 he's, he's speaking the word, the Greek word that we know as cardia, which is where we get the cardiac, the word cardiac from. He's saying, literally, do not allow your heart to become sick over this. Don't let your heart be divided over this. When he's, using, when he's speaking to them in the plural, and he's saying, let not your hearts, he's actually saying a singular heart, meaning I need y'all to be one. I, I don't want you to have a divided heart about this. That's why I've told you over and over again what was going to happen. I need you guys to be united on this and understand that this is the will of God. And then he unfolds the fact that I am going in my father's house. One translation reads that there are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you this? But I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. What we see in this, this, this announcement that Jesus is making as he's, he's speaking words to, to comfort their distress, he's letting them know that, that, that I'm not just going to leave you. I'm not just dipping out on you. But everything has been done decently in order. There's an order that's been set. And I'm going away. I'm not just going away and just leaving you here. I'm actually going to continue on and do a work. I'm going to, 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 to fulfill what my father's wishes were, which is that in his house, you would be there as well. 
What we have to understand is that this illustration that Jesus is giving to the disciples by letting them know that, that in my father's house, there is a place that has been set apart for you. There's been a place that's set apart for those that follow and believe in me. What he's illustrating to them, which was a common practice in the culture back then, is that it reflects the marriage custom of the bridegroom who would go to the bride's house and bring her to his father's house where an apartment would have been built for the new couple. Are you following this? In their custom, when a man goes to take a wife, he goes, it goes something like this. I don't want to get too deep into it because we got a little bit more to cover. But basically he goes and there's, there's, there's an agreement that's been made that, that they are engaged, that they are betrothed to one another. They are going to be married. And so rather than the marriage taking place right then and there, it's, it's kind of a long process. And so what happens is once the, once the groom goes and finds his wife and it's agreed upon, he goes back to his father's house and he starts building the place that they're going to stay. And once the place is ready, he goes to get his bride. And then the marriage festivities begin, and they go and live together. Are you following this? When he's doing this, he's giving a new and unique revelation. So far, when we've seen Jesus reveal himself, he's revealed himself in a manner in which all the, the prophets have spoken that have come before him. And now he gives almost like a unique and new thing when he's explaining to them that, that he, he's, it's, it's because it's only exclusive to him because he could only give this permission, which is, I can bring you to my father's house and give you residency. I'm going to prepare a place for you because you're going to stay with where I'm from and where we're at. That there's no, that there, that there's no longer going to be a division between us, that we will dwell together. Are you following this? The Lord gives a new and unique revelation. He speaks of something which no prophet had promised or even could promise, which is preparation of a place to abide in the Father's house. Jesus was stressing his personal concern for his disciples' welfare in this passage. His return would be as certain as his departure. Are you following? His return, he's assuring them that my return will be as sure as my departure. Because you got to think, they're, they're stressing out. The, all, they, all they can hear right now is the overshadowing, resounding sound ringing in their ears that Jesus is like, I'm, I'm going to be leaving from you guys. Verse 5, check out how Thomas responds. Thomas is like, no, we don't know, Lord. We don't know. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? You got to love Thomas, man. Thomas is just like candid. He's like, man, like, no, Lord, we don't know. Can you make it plain? Like, I mean, we slow. Can you make it plain? So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way. 
the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Now, I know it seems like there might be like Jesus is speaking out of frustration, but he's not. He's, again, you have to understand, he's taking into consideration. Jesus is probably, Jesus, without, without the shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the most emotionally intelligent, proficient person to ever walk the face of the earth. So he's speaking to the emotional state that they're in right now. He's not, he's not, he's not condemning them. He's not, he's not rebuking them. But he's saying he's trying to remind them. Just as just as a, a, a child on the first day of school who has separation anxiety, a child on the first day of school that has separation anxiety and they're like, Mom, you're going you, to come pick me up. Right. You're not you're not leaving me here with these crazy people. Right. I, I, you, you're going to come back. So he's speaking to that that childlike character in his disciples. And you got Thomas, he's like, Jesus, can you, can you please make it plain? No, we don't know the way. We don't know. He told them he was going to die and rise again several times. And here it is, he's just reminding them. Because that's what it takes. It take, we, 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 need, we as human beings, we need to be reminded. Some, some of us more than others, but we need to be reminded. Because it's, it's so easy for us to forget. The disciples' response to Jesus shows how it is possible to genuinely believe in and follow him, but have a wrong interpretation of his word. Did y'all get that? It's, it's possible to genuinely believe in Jesus and to follow him but have a wrong interpretation of his word. That's why he keeps saying, abide in me, and let me abide in you. You see, the disciples, they had heard that Jesus said several times that I'm going to die, and it was like, bruh, like, so they, they, they just thought he was just speaking figuratively the whole time. Right? Like, there's this, this cognitive dissonance between them, like, I believe what he's saying. Yeah, he's saying the truth. I believe that. But they're not really understanding the fact that Jesus is like, no, this is a literal death. It's not like Greek poetry. This is not like some, some uh, uh, analogy. I am going to die. This must happen. And just like the disciples who were following him, who were doing miracles in his name, who were, who were going about uh, ministering in partnership with him. Many of us 
to genuinely believe and genuinely follow him and still have a wrong interpretation of his word. Why? Because you're always going to have a wrong interpretation of his word if you approach walking with him with preconceived ideas and assumptions. Are you following? What Thomas is, is, is clearly stating, and so it is with us, it says, without a clear understanding of the final destination, they could not be sure the route to get there. All they can see right now is that Jesus is telling them, like, it's gotten real, like, it's just the light bulb has come on that, like, Jesus is really meaning that he's going to leave. He's, he's, he's really going to leave us. Like, you're, you're really going to be gone. You're not going to be here. Jesus was not saying that he was one way to God among many. He was not saying that he pointed the way to God either. He said that no one comes to God the Father but through faith in him. This means that religions that assign Jesus a role that is different from the one that the Bible gives him do not bring people to God or eternal life. Are you following? This was an exclusive claim to being the only way to heaven. It is only because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross that anyone can enter heaven. Since he has come, it is only through faith in the promise of God that his cross work satisfied the Father that anyone experiences regeneration. Let me read that again. Since he has come, it is only through the faith in the promise of God that his cross work satisfied the Father that anyone experiences regeneration. That means that you can only be saved through the work of the cross. That is only how new life comes into being. I know it's kind of become popular nowadays that there are many ways to get, no. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way. I'm not just pointing to God. No, when you see me, you've seen the Father, and there's no way to get to him but through me. Since he has come, rejection of God's revelation through him results in eternal damnation. Period, point blank. Verse 12, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Listen, a lot of people get this passage misconstrued, especially our, especially, especially our folks that, that like to run after the prosperity doctrine. Believing that you can ask anything and slap Jesus' name on it and it'll be done. And that's not what this is saying. What we have to understand is that when we are asking that we need to think of it as a blank check endorsed in Jesus' name. Only redeemable at the bank of the Father. 
paid out with kingdom currency. So that means that you might be in a situation of need and you pray to God, but it might not come back in money. It might not come back in the way that you're expecting it to come back. So that's why it's important for us to to make sure that our stance is to abide in the word and let the word abide in us. So that way we can ask according to his will. You can't be out there asking for somebody else's spouse and slap Jesus name on it. Are you following? You can't you can't be out there asking, just asking amiss for whatever, for personal, personal gain and selfish motives and slap Jesus name on it and be upset when it doesn't come to pass because it's not in the will of God. It's not in his will. Are you following? It's not in his will. You can't get mad. You go to the bank and the bank, the currency that the bank that you're banking with doesn't accept or exchange in Bitcoin. Proper currency, proper endorsement. Are you are you following? Just as it was always the son's purpose, the purpose of our praying must always be God's glory. Just as it always, it was always the son's purpose, the purpose of our praying must always be God's glory. Amen? Amen. When Jesus is, is making the claim that I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one can come to the Father but by me, you have to understand that, that Jesus has an understanding that a lot of us don't, don't really, that, that a lot of us need to hurry up and get a grasp of quick which is that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Here it is, he's making these claims after he's just proclaimed and and declared to the disciples, I'm about to be taken away from you to experience a horrible and excruciating death. But I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and bring you to where I've been, so that way where I am, you can be also. We should not overlook the faith involved both in the utterance and in the acceptance of those words spoken by Jesus as they were on the eve of the crucifixion. This is just the eve of his crucifixion that he's having this conversation, that this dialogue is taking place, that he's laying out and unfolding what is going on and what the wishes and the will of the Father is. What the will of the Father is. I need you to hold on to that. He says, I am the way, said by the one who would shortly hang impotent on a cross. I am the truth, says the one when the lies of evil people were about to enjoy a spectacular triumph. I am the life spoken by the one when within a matter of hours his corpse would be placed in a tomb. Immense faith in his proclamation to his disciples. And he's speaking 
from a place of faith, even though in his flesh, he was anxious unto death. What we have to understand when Jesus is making these I am claims, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the son of man. When you see me, you've seen the father. What you have to understand is that personality cannot be represented by an impersonal object. What do you mean? Growing up, I used to like looking at family photos. And every once in a while, I would come across a photograph, which is an image or an object of a family member that I had not met, that had passed on already. Therefore, I could never find out who that person was. Are you getting an object cannot interpret or translate to you who a person is? Personality cannot be represented by an impersonal object. No material image or likeness can adequately depict God. That's why he forbid his people to create graven images. Are you following? I need you guys to follow this. Because they couldn't know him through graven images. Only a person can give knowledge of him. And that person was the only begotten son. Just like I couldn't learn who my aunt was who had passed on so long, years, years and years ago before I came into being, I couldn't know her from this object that I have of her. And even people's words that did know her wouldn't accurately give me an understanding of who she was. Just like God understood that there's no image or object, no graven image, no, no, no idol that could translate to us who he, who he is. When you realize and you look through scripture, God destroyed idols in order to reveal himself to his people. And here it is, he destroyed the ideology of the religious organization of the time by sending his only begotten son, Jesus, to come in and live out the word that they proclaimed to Lord over the people with. Only a person can give knowledge of who God is, and that person was the only begotten son. Verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. He lives with you now, but later will be in you. Hold on to that. Verse 18. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you 
will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to him, did y'all know there was another disciple named Judas? Judas said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the father who sent me. Jesus is telling them, he gives them a charge. He's like, look, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I've gotten all of my affairs in order before I leave you. I'm telling you all of this. I know it doesn't seem like it right now. I know that, you, that, you're, that you're, you're, you're tempted to be overwhelmed and overcome with sadness and despair and distress, but let not your hearts be true. I have all of my affairs set in order before I leave you, and I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm not going to leave you an orphan. It is better that I go away so that the comforter will come, and he will never leave you, and you know him. And the world doesn't know him because they're not looking for him and they don't recognize him. But you do because he lives with you and will soon be in you. Are you following what he's saying? He's saying that it's better that I go away. Why? Because when I go away, there's going to be an impartation that's going to happen. Like I can only do so much being with you right now, but it's better that I go away because I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you the comforter. And he's going to lead you into all truth. And the world, the world can't give him to you, which means the world can't take him from you. But he's saying the stipulation to this is that you have to be obedient and do what it is that I'm telling you to do. I need you to follow these instructions carefully. What we need to understand, and I believe Pastor touched on this uh, on Sunday, I believe he said it in a way that, that, that obedience is a sign of maturity. Obedience is a sign of, of maturity. And obedience to the will of God is not only a condition for getting answers to prayer, it is also an evidence of our love for God. Verse 25, Jesus says, I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart. 
And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. As we come to the end of this text, what we need to understand is that Jesus is, is making it very plain to us that, that as his followers, he's left no stone unturned. He's left us no, 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 uh, no, no guesswork in the matter of what the will of the Father is. Why? Because when he left us, when he left his disciples, he left, he, the Father sent an advocate in the Holy Spirit. What we have to understand is that though the disciples did many great things, the great things that they accomplished when Jesus was here was out of their obedience to Jesus. What we have to understand is that the things that Jesus, the great exploits that Jesus did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he was the full embodiment of the Godhead, Father, Spirit, and Son. And so as Jesus went about healing, as Jesus prophesied, as Jesus did miracles, he was doing it under the auspices and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he could claim to the disciples, he could say that you know who he is because he lives with you. He lives with you in me. But when I go away, when I die, when I give up the ghost, then he'll will be imparted to you as believers because he's going to come in and dwell on the inside of you and that's what seals your salvation. He didn't say that speaking in tongues is what's going to seal your salvation. He says the indwelling of the spirit. And how do you know that you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you? That's something that we bring up on Sundays. The spirit of the living God dwelling in you is the church that Jesus is coming back for. You know that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you because he's continuing to lead you in the truth of his word. Just like Jesus didn't speak anything of his own, neither will Holy Spirit. So for those of us that try to get all like funky spiritual and, and try and think that we got some kind of new revelation, if it doesn't line up with the word, that's not the Holy Spirit. Are you following? Scripture interprets scripture. And Holy Spirit confirms the word of God. He's not going to confirm something else. Again, that's that whole thing of being in the name of Jesus, not being in whatever it is that you think is a good idea and then slapping Jesus' name on it, right? An image cannot convey the heart of God, cannot convey the personality of God. And a lot of us, we come with this ideology and this image of who we think God is and we're following something that's another Jesus, right? So I, I, hate, I, hate to, I hate to come after white Jesus on your wall. 
I hate to come after black Jesus on your wall. If that's what your, your ideology and your image is, it's the wrong image. If you're serving a Jesus that serves your agenda, it's the wrong Jesus. Why? Because we're seeing the recurring theme that Jesus is like, I'm not doing anything of my own. I only do what is going to glorify the Father. And I expect the same of you. The will of God. As I close with this, I need you guys to understand what it is that we just read and what we're, what we're, what we're studying tonight. People talk about, I need to know what the will of God is. I, I need to know what the will of God is. We just literally read the will of God. Jesus is not just talking and having a conversation to his disciples before he leaves. He's actually literally reading his will. You know, a will like when somebody dies and you become the successor and, and it, he's literally reading the will of God. Literally reading the will of God. He's saying, look, man, hey, I'm going, I, I got to go on to be with the Father, but you guys are going to be here and you're taken care of. You're, you're here and you're taken care of. You don't have to worry about anything. I'm leaving you an advocate. There's certain things that have to be in place in order for a will to be legit. According to, to, to our standards in, in you know, in our government, in our legislation, one of them is that you have to be at least 18 years old. We know Jesus was like 33, right? Legit. It's a will, right? Has to be, has to be at least two witnesses. <laughs> Had plenty of witnesses. Legit. There has to be an executor once the person has gone on. Who is that? The disciples. We're to be the executors. We're supposed to carry out all the orders of the will. We're, we're, we're to carry out all the orders of the will. Are you following this? That's why he's telling them, man, if you love me, that's why I'm making you guys the executive. If you love me, you'll do what it is that I'm commanding you to do. So don't be, don't be disheartened. Don't, don't be discouraged at the fact that I'm leaving you because it's going to be better for you that I go. Why? Because the, the person that you've known of the Holy Spirit that you've only known that's lived with you, he's going to live on the inside of you. And the greater works, the great works that you see me do, you're going to do greater works. That doesn't mean that you're going to outdo me. It's going to be that you're going to be more effective in the earth. When Jesus came, he came for a specific group of people. He had to deal with the covenant that was set already. In order to fulfill that, so that every, the rest of the world could be partakers of the covenant. So here it is, we read in John chapter 14 that Jesus has left a will. He's leaving a will. He's laid it out. And he's showing that this is the will of God. The will of God is that you execute and do all it is that I command you to do so that the Father may be glorified and that the world will know that I love the Father, that I was in the Father and the Father is in me and that you are in me and I am in you. Amen? Yeah. Pray you guys got something good out of this tonight. I pray that this sticks with you. The will of God. Amen? Let's pray. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. 
but we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.